welcome, welcome to another edition of Fixin' to Talk Sports. I'm your host, Ryan Brown, and this week we've got another edition of Ryan's Wrestling Recap. But today, we are going solo. Gonna see, venture into the deep end, see how long I can go talking pro wrestling on my own but before we get to that we got to shout out all the other podcasts in the mouth and off family that would be the cool zone pod an nba podcast for all you basketball diehards the foxborough files and patriots fan podcast as well as the Mouth and Off Sports Show podcast as well. They're getting back into the swing of things. So make sure you go like and subscribe, follow all those podcasts. And now let's get into some pro wrestling. So we've had a couple of pay-per-views over the past couple of weekends, namely TakeOver, Vengeance Day for NXT, and WWE Elimination Chamber. So let's start breaking down this most recent takeover in the land of NXT. Overall, pretty good show. Uh, we were we kicked things off with the finals for the first ever women's Dusty Rhodes Tag Team Classic with a women's tag team title opportunity on the line. And Dakota Kai and Raquel Gonzalez emerged victorious, defeating Ember Moon and Shotzi Blackheart. Pretty good match to start the show. Um, And for as good of a match as it was, it for me, what it set up in the women's tag team championship match down the road is an even bigger takeaway here as it's a years-long storyline between Dakota Kai and Shayna Baszler. Shayna Baszler being one half of the current WWE Women's Tag Team Champions comes full circle. Uh, these Dakota Kai and Shayna feuded for quite some time down in NXT. And to see the story now come full circle, how Shayna bullied Dakota Kai, and now Dakota, having turned heel, has now completely unafraid to stand up to Shayna and confront her past is actually kind of cool to see because this is something you wouldn't normally see from WWE creative. At least I don't feel like you see it too often. Uh, It also is really good to see Raquel Gonzalez's character evolution is, is just on a rocket ship to the moon. When we she first burst onto the scene in WWE in the May Young Classic, she had a cowboy character, and it just didn't, or in her in her sense, a cowgirl character, and it just it just didn't feel like she had an identity at that point. Something was missing, uh, the, whether it was from a character standpoint or just not being able to put it all together right away, and that, that's not always the case with everyone, but. When she reappeared onto the scene in NXT, emerging as essentially Dakota Kai's heavy and and bodyguard, she meant business. And not only did that, but she has made an impact in the women's division and NXT. So much so that not only has she pinned the NXT women's championship, women's champion Io Shirai in war games in the in on a takeover pay-per-view but now she is get she scored the winning pinfall in the finals of the first ever women's dusty roads tag team classic and gets a women's tag team title shot along with dakota kai that that's great because it didn't look like she was going to be anything coming out of those may young classics and to see her come from the bottom and get to where she is now is incredible in my eyes now that leads me to discuss the overall state of the women's tag team division which is just problematic in my eyes 
you've got you've content wwe has continually decided to put together single stars in the women's division and put them into throwaway tag teams to try and legitimize the women's tag team championships and i feel like it's just the wrong way to go about things you should be trying to build actual tag teams with longevity in order to validate the creation of those belts and instead what you've seen for the most part with with a few exceptions is teams like your current champions Shayna Baszler and Nia Jax two predominantly singles competitors being forced to come together in spite of each other to be to try and raise the prestige of these titles because WWE creative has nothing for those two to do as singles competitors. So what do we do? Oh, we'll just make them a tag team, throw the tag belts on them. And yes, they've been a a solid tag team. They're now two-time champions. They're doing a fine job as the champions, but they, it just leaves a lot to be desired when you continually throw singles competitors into the tag team division just to try and raise it. You should be giving teams like Mandy Rose and Dana Brooke, the Riot Squad over on SmackDown, more opportunities, and especially the teams down in NXT, such as Dakota Kai and Raquel Gonzalez, such as Casey Catanzaro and Caden Carter, or even a Candice LeRae and Indy Hartwell. These teams that have been together for much longer than the tag team champions should be getting opportunities to hold down the women's tag team division with and, and compete for those tag belts. And they're just not getting those opportunities yet. Hopefully that is a sign of things to come with Dakota Kai and Raquel Gonzalez getting a shot at those belts. But I mean, you, you look, you look around and I'm pulling hard for Dakota Kai and Raquel Gonzalez to win those belts and bring them to NXT because frankly, Raw and SmackDown just don't have the roster death at the women's division to sustain the women's tag team championships. There's a reason you continually see the Raw women's champion and the SmackDown women's champion in feuds for those tag team title belts. And it is because they have nothing better to do with the tag team champions. And that's a shame because that's not why they were the belts were created. They weren't created just to help push forward singles championship storylines in the women's division. They were created to give women more opportunities, especially in the tag team ranks. And you're just not seeing that. And it's been disappointing. But hopefully, we will see things turn around. NXT has a wealth of talent and a wealth of death in the women's division. They've got plenty of tag teams, as you've seen, in, as you see by the fact that they were able to put an eight team tournament together in the women's division. Granted, half of those teams were throwaway teams just thrown together that I don't really care for as I've clearly made obvious this point, but they still had four teams that have spent solid time together in that tournament. And that's a lot more than I can say about teams in the raw and SmackDown division. So hopefully WWE will get their act together with the women's tag team division and the tag belts. Uh, But that still remains to be seen. Continuing on with the Vengeance Day card, uh, the second match of the night was an instant classic. In my mind, the match of the night, Johnny Gargano defending the NXT North American Championship against Kushida. Gargano retains here in what was just a fantastic match start to finish. So many false finishes. I was on the edge of my seat. I thought Kushida had 
Gargano beat multiple times. And in the end, that was not to be. Gargano hits his finish to survive a hell of a of a of a of a match from Kushida um, to keep on as the North American champion for the time being. Hopefully, this is not the last first and only title shot for Kushida. Um, but I really was pulling for Kushida. I think they made the wrong decision here to keep the belt on Gargano. I felt like they had a chance after finally giving Kushida the push into the title picture. After a year of Kushida just kind of meandering in the background here in NXT, I thought this was going to be his moment. This was going to be the way, his moment to, to put him on the map in the world of NXT. That was not the case, but hopefully it will be sooner rather than later because Kushida is a fantastic wrestler all around. And you saw that in his matchup with Johnny Gargano. That being said, you can't really complain much about Johnny Gargano having a championship in NXT. The man is Mr. Takeover. Might as well call him Mr. NXT because every single takeover match for him is basically gold right up there for a borderline five-star rating every single time. And I've learned, I've made the mistake before of doubting Johnny Gargano and it happened again last night. I was admitted the other night uh, at takeover vengeance day. I was definitely pulling for Kushida there and Gargano got his way and that's fine. But hopefully he'll put over Kushida. Kushida will eventually, hopefully take the North American championship. Cause in my opinion, Gargano doesn't need a championship anymore. He's won the North. He's won the North American title three times. Now he's won the NXT championship. He's won the tag team championships. In my opinion, he doesn't need a championship to legitimize himself and he doesn't need a championship to keep him from being stale in the NXT ranks. He just needs a feud that he can sink his teeth into. I know you're not going to be able to recreate the rivalry that he had with Tommaso Ciampa. That's going to be impossible to do, but give him another feud that he can really sink his teeth into, not just a bunch of one-offs with up-and-coming talent that they're trying to get over. Give him someone that he can really get into a series of matches with over a a lengthy period of time. That's what I want to see for Johnny Gargano. Give somebody else a chance to run with the North American Championship. Give Gargano a rivalry to sink his teeth in where he doesn't need the championship. Then on the men's side of the Dusty Rhodes Tag Team Classic, you had MSK going up against the Grizzled Young Veterans. The Grizzled Young Veterans making it to the finals for the second straight year. And for the second straight year, they came up just short as the newcomers MSK went on to win and they will get an NXT Tag Team title match in the future. This was another really, really good match. MSK can do some just unbelievable things in the ring. A high-flying aerial assault. Just unbelievable. You have to see it to believe it. If you're a fan of springboards, the high-flying, off-the-top-rope kind of moves, MSK is going to be your favorite team. I guarantee it. Um, And for them to make their debut in this tournament – And then not only that, they go on to win it. That says a lot about what WWE thinks about them going forward. And I wouldn't be surprised if when they get their tag team championship match, I wouldn't be surprised if they got the belts right away. Because this is a very quick and meteoric push 
that they are giving these guys. So don't be surprised if MSK is our ta- tag team champions in NXT in the very near future, but they may not be. We'll have to see. Then we had Io Shirai retaining her NXT women's championship in a triple threat match going up against Mercedes Martinez and Tony storm. This one wasn't as great as the previous matches on the show or the main event, which I'll get into momentarily. Um, the, the finish kind of looked a little screwy, a little botched. Uh, I don't know if it was the referee or one of the competitors, but the, the mat, the finish of the match just felt like something was off. Something didn't, didn't add up. And the match itself really didn't hit click. Didn't really take it to the next level. In my opinion, it, it was, I don't want to call it, it was a TV match, but it just, it just felt like it it didn't elevate to the next level. Good for Io Shirai to keep her championship reign continuing. Uh, she looks like she may have a legitimate shot to match Asuka's lengthy title reign for most consecutive days as NXT Women's Champion. Uh, Io Shirai is getting closer and closer to the one-year mark as NXT Women's Champion. Asuka was, I believe it was a little over a year and a half, approaching two years. Um, but looking as for as deep of a roster as there is in the NXT Women's Championship or Women's Division, it's tough to find and point out who is going to be the one to dethrone Io Shirai. Because she has just put down all comers, all challengers. And I just, I don't see who, with, with wh- how long this title reign has already gone, I don't see who is going to be the one at this time to knock her off. So in my eyes, this title reign's not coming to a close anytime soon. And then the main event, we have... Finn Balor and Pete Dunne going at it for the NXT championship. Finn Balor retained his title in what was a, I'll call it a technical classic. Wasn't an athletic masterpiece by any stretch of the imagination, but the limb and joint manipulation was heavily prevalent in this, this matchup. The technical wrestling was on point if you are not a fan of of limbs and joints being in being contorted in the awkward positions this match probably made you cringe a little bit but if you can look past that then you got a very very strong main event from these two in which was their first ever meeting but the biggest story here was not so much the match it was what happened afterwards after the match concluded. We had Pete Dunn's boys, the NXT tag team champions, Danny Burch and Oni Lorcan run in to attack Finn Balor post-match. And Undisputed Era came in to make the save. And when Kyle O'Reilly helped Finn Balor up, and they all stood together shoulder to shoulder to do their signature poses. Adam Cole super kicked Finn Balor. And when Kyle O'Reilly tried to stand up for Finn Balor and, and question Cole for why he did what he did, Adam Cole super kicked Kyle O'Reilly. And that signals the beginning of the end for the undisputed area. Adam Cole left Finn Balor and Kyle O'Reilly laying in the center of the ring. He walked off as the, the show went off air. Roderick Strong caught in between, doesn't know who to follow, doesn't know whether to help Kyle, doesn't know whether to go out, walk off with Adam. It was perfect. 
I will say, though, as a massive Adam Cole slash Undisputed Era fan, this is, this is bittersweet because Undisputed Era has been a staple in NXT for the past four years. And to see them not be able to make it to Raw or SmackDown as a collective group, uh, that's, that stinks for, at least in my eyes, I would have much rather had the chance to see them moved on to Raw or SmackDown as a collective group. But if you look at it from the positives, we are sure to get Adam Cole versus Kyle O'Reilly at a takeover, and that should be amazing. And if you get a trilogy out of it, maybe, just maybe, you get it on par, if maybe even better than Champa, uh, than the Champa Gargano rivalry, and possibly better than the Adam Cole Johnny Gargano trilogy. It could be that damn good but we'll have to see overall for the show i would give it a b plus i think most of the matches were somewhere between an a and a b uh but the in my opinion the women's triple threat was closer to a c so that would bring my overall grade down into that b b plus range so i'll give it a b plus Moving on to the Elimination Chamber pay-per-view. Um, going to be honest, this one, this pay-per-view as a whole didn't really blow any the roofs off for me, and it didn't really stand out to me aside from the ending. And we'll get to that in a little bit. Uh Kicking things off, we had the SmackDown Elimination Chamber match, which was essentially a number one contenders match for the Universal Championship, where the winner would get a championship match that night against Roman Reigns. Daniel Bryan started the match, and he finished the match as the sole, well, I won't say sole survivor, but he went the distance and was the last man standing in the chamber. So he got the title shot right away. Roman Reigns came right out to grant him his title match. And in 92 seconds, the head of the table choked out Daniel Bryan. And you could see that coming from a mile away. Uh, the, the, the only thing I didn't get was the match placement. But given how the events unfolded, it does makes sense why the, the SmackDown Chamber match and the ensuing Universal Championship match started the show rather than closing it out. Um, the Chamber match was probably the best match of the night. I'm, I'm not going to lie. Um, but it just wasn't anything special on the, on the side. It, didn't, it wasn't going to blow your, your mind or anything like that. It was just it was pretty good, but it wasn't great or anything. Um, Daniel Bryan is sure to be in the title picture for – I, I don't think this is a one-off. I think he's going to get another shot. And that could come at Fastlane, which is in mid to late March, right before WrestleMania, the final stop on the road to WrestleMania. Uh, so we'll have to see if Daniel Bryan can get his shot. Uh, a one-on-one, a true fair one-on-one shot against the big dog, the head of the table, the tribal chief, Roman Reigns. But Roman Reigns thought he was going to get off squeaky clean with an easy, quick dispatch disposal of Daniel Bryan. That was not to be because the men's Royal Rumble winner, Edge, spoiled it for him, came out, speared him from behind, and made his intentions clear that he wants Roman Reigns at WrestleMania for the Universal Championship. And that was made official this week. So that, 
you can expect that to be the main event of one of the two nights of WrestleMania in April. I would imagine that would be the main event of night two, unless we get some wacky plans for a title unification where you would have both world titles defended on night one and then the winners moving on to face each other in the main event of night two. But I don't think those were that's in the cards at this time. So Edge Reigns Spear versus Spear is likely to main event night two. I can't wait. That's going to be a fantastic match all around. And I am eager to see how they build up to that match. Moving on, we had Riddle defeat Bobby Lashley and John Morrison in a triple threat match for the United States champion. Riddle is your new United States champion, taking the title off of Bobby Lashley, who was not pinned or submitted to lose his title. Riddle was able to score a pin on John Morrison. John Morrison, who had won a fatal four-way earlier in the night on the pre-show replace to replace Keith Lee, who was unable to compete in the triple threat match himself. This is Riddle's first championship on Raw or SmackDown after making the move up to NXT. And I, I like the call here. Um, Bobby Lashley had a, a really strong reign as U.S. champion, and I don't mean that in terms of match quality. I mean that in terms of just sheer dominance. It, it didn't really seem like anyone was going to take the title from him, and it took a multi-man match where he wasn't even pinned or submitted in order for him to drop the belt. So he he that that reign definitely made Lashley look strong and given how the rest of the events of the evening played out it's unsurprising to see riddle uh probably lashley rather drop the title in that fashion to riddle it was a solid match but again nothing spectacular then you had the women's tag team championships defended Nia Jax and Shayna Baszler defending their titles against, you guessed it, the SmackDown women's champion, Sasha Banks, and the 2021 women's Royal Rumble winner, Bianca Belair. Because, of course, we can't have a women's tag team championship match without one of the two, without the Raw or SmackDown women's champion being involved. The defending champs were able to retain thanks to a distraction from Carmela's sommelier, uh, Reginald. Uh, again, solid match, but nothing you're going to remember weeks, months down the road. Just another kind of stepping stone in the women in, in terms of the show. Just another match. And you could say the same about just about all of the card. But the interesting thing here is that you have Nijax and Shayna Baszler retaining, which means you will get them, as I as mentioned earlier in the show, defending against Dakota Kai and Raquel Gonzalez, I believe, next week on NXT television. So that should be, hopefully, a good one. And I'm pulling for a title change if you haven't gotten that one, if you haven't figured that one out yet. And then in our main event at Elimination Chamber, Drew McIntyre walked in as the WWE champion, and he survived the Raw Elimination Chamber match full of all former WWE champions to retain his title. However, Bobby Lashley emerged after the match to launch a post-match beatdown, which allowed the Miz to swoop in, cash in his money in the bank contract and pin Drew McIntyre to become the new WWE champion. 
there was they did give it away a little bit, not so much with Lashley dropping the belt, but by showing a short clip of Miz and MVP talking backstage. Kind of tipped their hand that something was awry, something might be going down. And as soon as Lashley hit the ring to attack McIntyre, it became abundantly clear that something had been agreed upon between the two and that Miz was surely going to cash in. The only question at that point was whether or not he would be successful this close to WrestleMania. And it was to me a little bit of a shock that Miz actually successfully cashed in as, as much as it makes sense to let Drew McIntyre renew his chase for the title and try potentially try to recapture it in front of fans and get that WrestleMania moment. He'd so missed out on last year with no fans in attendance and there being hopefully fans in attendance this year in Tampa at WrestleMania. Um, I, I really didn't think that a Miz Cashin was in the cards. I felt that he was destined to become the next in line to fail to cash his cash in. And I was pleasantly surprised, which doesn't happen as often in the world of WWE as I would like and hope to be, but it happened for once. So this kind of salvaged the night for me in a night where the matches really in terms of quality and, and storytelling really didn't do a heck of a lot for me. This, this right here salvaged the night. Overall, I would give the card a C plus, but had the Miz not cashed in, had it not been for that ending, I think that grade would have been much worse. Uh, Now, if I could play fantasy booker here, and circle back to the two elimination chamber matches, the Raw and the SmackDown chamber matches. Um, I would change a couple of the competitors. And here's why. In my opinion, in these sort of matches where you've got five, six competitors all competing at more or less the same time for a championship, you need as many credible threats as, and challengers as you can. I understand putting in one or two wrestlers that are either upstarts that you're you're in the process of pushing that maybe haven't been champions before, but you're trying to get them that rub and that give them that shine and, and show that they're, they're getting there and make it seem like maybe this is their, this is their chance. This is their moment. But for the most part, you got, you need legitimate, challengers people that the fans will legitimately believe have a chance to win the title in that match or win the match in general and with the smackdown chamber match i just got the sense that there weren't any there just weren't that many credible challengers in the chamber you have you had kevin owens and jay uso who had both received multiple title shots against Roman Reigns previously in the match. And it was hard to believe that either one of them would get another crack at the head of the table. You had, and then you had King Corbin and Sami Zayn, Sami Zayn coming off still in the, had coming off of an intercontinental championship reign kind of, still crying that he is the uncrowned intercontinental champion. I mean, he's not clearly not in the world title picture. Neither is King Corbin. King Corbin is not a former world champion. Yeah. You can call Sami Zayn a former world champion in the world of WWE. If you count his NXT championship reign, but on the main roster, Neither of them have really been legitimate threats at the world title for as many title op- world title opportunities as they've had. I mean, hell, King Corbin had money in the bank and was one of the few to fail. So that, in my eyes, that's four people out of the six 
in the SmackDown Chamber match that I had was for sure were not going to win it. So when you go into a match with six people in it and you really only think two people have a legitimate shot, that kind of takes away from the value of the match in terms of they could steal the show in terms of match quality, but they ha- that's the only way they're going to get you when you're pretty sure you know what the outcome is. And yes, I realize that pro wrestling is a scripted sport. The outcomes are predetermined. And sometimes it's pretty painfully obvious who is going to come out as the victor. But when you can keep your audience in suspense and have them guessing, that's when that's when pro wrestling is at its best. And I just feel like with the SmackDown Elimination Chamber match, you didn't have that going for you. They just wanted to keep an even balance of good guys and bad guys. And they wanted to really just keep almost seemingly keep the focus on Daniel Bryan and Cesaro. And that's fine for what they were trying to do. But in my opinion, I would have put someone like a Seth Rollins who returned at the Royal Rumble to I added him instead of a King Corbin. That's a legitimate threat. He, any, any world title match he's involved in, as long as he's not been in that championship picture recently. Uh, I mean, he could, that's, that's a legitimate threat, a former world universal and WWE champion. I would have even liked to have seen Shinsuke Nakamura in the chamber match on SmackDown side of things, instead of perhaps Sami Zayn. Yes. I know Sami Zayn has the connection to Kevin Owens and whatnot. So that that's probably why he was inserted into the match, but how quickly have we forgotten about Shinsuke Nakamura's gauntlet match victory that should have been to get him a universal championship match against Roman Reigns right before going or at the Royal Rumble pay-per-view. So let me, let me backtrack a little to explain the whole Shinsuke Nakamura debacle in my eyes. Shinsuke wins a gauntlet match, pins three people in a row and to what he thinks is a victory to get a universal championship match against Roman Reigns at the Royal Rumble only for Paul Heyman and Roman Reigns to add WWE official Adam Pierce to the gauntlet match at the last second in order to screw Nakamura over. They beat him up and literally hand Adam Pierce, a guy who hasn't wrestled in six or seven years, a universal championship match. Only for Adam Pierce to then gift wrap that championship match on a silver platter to Kevin Owens. And yet, we have yet to see Shinsuke Nakamura try and get payback or revenge or anything for that opportunity stolen from him. Instead, he is now in the midst of an intercontinental championship feud between Big E and Apollo Crews. And that's all fine and well, but why would you have him basically, why would you seemingly try to build him up to be the next challenger to Roman Reigns in that gauntlet match only for him to never seek retribution or seek payback against reigns it makes no sense it's like they think it's like they think wwe thinks that we just forget about these things that we have short-term memory loss and this isn't the first time this something like this has happened and it won't be the last and that's frustrating that's very frustrating from me and from the fan perspective is that they think that they can just do things and swerve in another direction at on the snap of a, at the snap of a finger and nobody will notice 
and they don't have they won't have to explain why they did what they did and i i'll i'll never understand that for the raw chamber match like i said it was all the former wwe champions i would have made it just former world champions not just wwe champions because i feel like that kind of forced their hand into making it into getting the six people that you had in that match with the Miz backing out of it, there was no other options aside from Kofi Kingston. <laughs> so you were really limited in who was going to be, excuse me, in that match. If you say just former world champions, you could have added a Braun Strowman instead of Jeff Hardy. Jeff Hardy's, I'm sorry, he's not going to win the WWE championship at this point in his career. That's just not happening. Would it be cool and shocking? Yes, without a shadow of a doubt. But I don't think anyone would have seen that coming. And I don't think WWE has the, has the balls to do something like that. So why, why bother? He didn't even do any crazy uh, jump off the, off the structure or from climbing up to the top of it or or whatever whatnot so i i just don't understand what the point of jeff having jeff hardy in the match was other than nostalgia and then for as great of a career as kofi kingston has had and while it made sense to have add him to the chamber match given he was never granted a rematch to the WWE for the WWE championship after losing it to Brock Lesnar all the about a year ago, a little over a year ago at this point. It just a year and a half ago, but it just he's in a tag team with the New Day. He's been in the tag team ranks ever since. And it just doesn't feel like he's legitimate as a, a singles competitor anymore. And to put him in at the last second and, and try and reminisce about Kofi mania as his one claim to fame. And, and that's why he, he would be a threat in that match. That just doesn't do it for me. So I would have put in someone like a Samoa Joe or I don't know, an Andrade, somebody who, is a former NXT champion that's been off off TV for a while that would have been a shocker if to add last minute and immediately be a legitimate threat in that chamber match coming off of the absence that they would have been on. So that's what I would have done for those chamber matches. But I'm just a wrestling fan. I have no say in it. It is what it is. In terms of quick hits, we've got we'll we're, we'll we'll head to the world of AEW and New Japan Pro Wrestling. Kenta, the current IWGP United States Heavyweight Championship briefcase holder, aka number one contender for that title. He made his surprise appearance on AEW Dynamite, officially kicking down the quote-unquote forbidden door by becoming the first New Japan wrestler to appear in AEW when he jumped John Moxley from behind, setting up their U.S. heavyweight title match tomorrow on NJPW Strong. We're recording here on Thursday uh, excuse me we're recording here on Friday <laughs> Friday I don't even have my day straight good god Friday February 26th which means that match actually took place today and I have no idea who won that match but it, I assure you that was going to be a slobber knocker of a match no doubt about it Kenta ever since leaving NXT heading back to new Japan has gotten his career back on track and 
with the U.S. title stuck in the U.S. on John Moxley's shoulder and Moxley unable to defend it. He's already had the title stripped from him once, only for him to regain it at Wrestle Kingdom prior to the pandemic starting. Now, over a year later, he still has it. And he was unable to defend it during the pandemic. And now you finally get the challenger that's been waiting for what feels like months for forever to get his title shot. My guess would be that Kenta will take the title back to Japan as the new IWGP US heavyweight title match. And I'll be looking forward to checking that match out on NJPW World. But he's not the only one from New Japan to make it over to the States. The tag team of David Finley and Juice Robinson, otherwise known as Finn Juice, made their impact wrestling debuts not too long after uh, it was announced on an impact pay-per-view. So it's really great to see more of the top promotions starting to work together. I think AEW is, and Tony Khan certainly have a big role in that as they've been working with several promotions, namely the NWA in having talent, bringing in talent in and out to work with. I think it's great for the business. Um, And it can only help to elevate talent and create more prominent storylines across company borders. Elsewhere, you had former Impact Wrestling star Taya Valkyrie. She signed with WWE. She's reported to the Performance Center in Orlando. Uh, she was phenomenal in Impact. The lo- I believe the longest reigning Knockouts champion in that company's history. Great talent. Uh, I would expect to see her in NXT somewhere down the line. And if so, that's an instant challenger to Io Shirai and her championship reign. Hopefully, we'll get to see that somewhere down the road. And lastly, AEW Revolution. AEW's next pay-per-view is right around the corner. It's one week from this Sunday, uh, March 7th. It's going to be headlined with John Moxley challenging the current AEW World Champion Kenny Omega for the t- his title in <coughs> get this, <coughs> excuse me, an exploding barbed wire death match. Now that sounds absolutely insane, and it probably will be. But if we think back to their lights out non-unsanctioned match back at full gear. That match was as close to a death match as you will see on live television. I realize it was pay-per-view, but when the sports commission (laughs) finds you, I believe it was $10,000 for, for just safety violations, you know that, that match was off the chains. And now it looks like AEW is going to try to run it back and one-up that match, which in my eyes was just amazing, just pure brutality across all levels mixed in with really, really good wrestling. Now you're just going full, full on with the stipulation and with exploding barbed wire. I can only imagine what this match is going to entail. I can't wait for it. It should be great. The interesting part about it is that it was Kenny Omega, the champion, who requested this match stipulation, which is quite interesting given that Kenny Omega's penchant is that he's 
the best wrestler in the world. So for a heel who claims they're the best wrestler in the world to ask for a stipulation match, and not just any stipulation match, a death match, <laughs> that's, that's a little bit of a head-scratcher. But let me tell you, I'm, I'm willing to look past it here. I'm not complaining. This one should be insane. And that's not the only headliner. We've also got Sting making his long-awaited return to the ring, coming out of retirement. He'll be teaming with the TNT champion, Darby Allen to face Ricky Starks and Brian Cage of Team Taz in a street fight. That one will probably be along the lines of a cinematic match pre-taped in order to help sting out. So I, I am definitely looking forward to that one to see what sting has left in the tank, if anything. And there's plenty of other good stuff on that card as well, but we'll save that for the next edition of Ryan's wrestling recap. We'll recap AEW revolution as well as WWE Fastlane, and take a look forward to WrestleMania, but that will be next month on next month's edition of Ryan's wrestling recap. I think that's going to do it for this one, this edition of Ryan's wrestling recap. Remember like, and subscribe to the mouth and off sports. You can do so on Apple Podcasts as well as Spotify. We're now on Spotify, so make sure you go follow us on Spotify if that is your preferred platform for podcasts. Follow the Cool Zone podcast, Foxborough Files, and the Mouth and Off Sports Show pod. And give us a follow too. We're on Twitter. We're all on Twitter. So go give us follows on there as well. And for Ryan Brown and no one else, because I'm solo this week, I'll sign off and we'll see you next week talking NBA.